Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm an interviewer, journalist and broadcaster. And for the first decade of this century, I did for the Irish radio station RT Radio 1 a music series titled Under the Influence. Sadly, that title was subsequently used, be it stolen consciously or otherwise, for a similar MTV show. So now, after revisiting the master tapes of those old interviews, I've decided to turn the best into a podcast series called The Music That Made Me. I may even add the subtitle Made Me Want to Make Music. Either way, what follows is one of those shows, minus music, which for copyright reasons I can't include. Some of the full shows and many of my other radio programs are available on Mixcloud.com. And if you want to read any articles that arose out of these interviews, you can check out JoeJacksonInterviewer.com. Enjoy the show. Joe Elliott, welcome to Under the Influence. And that title for this show really applies to a guy who once told me he was a music junkie since he was a kid. You've been addicted to music since I was 12 and saw Sweet Slade and Bowie on top of the pops. That is where it started. That's exactly where it started. The, um, the first time I saw Mark Bolan, and I think, I, I keep saying it's Get It On, but I think, I, I think that because I've seen that clip so many times. It was probably Hot Love. Okay. Um, I'd seen, you know, I'd been watching Top of the Pop since I was a kid, you know, since I could walk, and I just watched it. Nothing particularly struck me, and then one day I saw Bolin with the hair and the, you know, the the, the glitter and, and stuff, and it just, it just blew me away. I mean, I was just straight away. I didn't want to play football anymore. The tennis racket became a guitar, and and I was in front of the mirror doing all the poses like you do, or like you used to do before they invented Nintendo. Oh, okay. So tell, tell me, but describe the room you're in and the telly, and who would have been sitting there watching it, and what was the response of anybody else in the room? Did your mum and dad say, shut up and sit down and stop screaming all over the place? No. I, actually, I wouldn't have been, I would have been sat there just cross-legged like a gog at the TV. As it happens, my mum and dad actually really liked T-Rex, so I didn't have a problem there. Right. Um, my dad, one of my dad's top three favorite songs. I mean, he's a Sinatra man, right. but Metal Guru, he loves. Really? Yeah, and 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 that song, Major Tom, by David oh, Bowie. That's yeah. what he calls it. That's of what he calls, calls it. Called Major it, yeah. Tom. Okay. Yeah. Um, and my mother loved Noddy Older. She used to just love the fact that because he screamed, you know, she just thought he was really funny. All so right. uh, they were they were kind of cool about it. And you know, my mum and dad would have been younger than I am now. Then, okay, right. so you know. So there wasn't this big generational it wasn't, uh, clash? It, no, I think that was starting to kind of dissipate by then. Okay, it was starting to right. go away. Okay. So which, uh, which, which will we go for? You don't want to get it on because now you're thinking it wasn't that. Do you want to go for Hot Love? Yeah, Hot Love sounds great. Okay. Uh, yeah, we were saying, um, Joe Elliott, you were listening there to uh, Mark Bolan. And I think I was joking with you once about how Bono once admitted that he was very sexually confused by looking at Mark. But the feather bows and the whole kind of glitter and all that stuff didn't confuse you, did it? No, not at all. <laughs> and and back then, we're talking 71, yeah. the words gay and queer meant happy or odd, <laughs> you know, especially to somebody from Sheffield. All right. Um, I did used to get whacked at school by right. a Slade fan because he, he was a puff. All right. That's the, that were the words of, of the, the school The vernacular yard. of the time, okay. Yeah, the vernacular of the time in Sheffield schoolyard was, you can't like him, he's a puff. And you'd get a whack, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah you'd get whacked by Slade fans, you know. And I'd be like, going, but I've got Slade records too, you know. It's like, why can't we just And my mother loves Slade. All of a sudden, I was this glam hippie, you know. It was it was very, very weird. But, um, but did you fight back? I mean, did it teach no, you how to no. fight? No, 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 no. I could, I, no. 
You didn't take a stand in the corner of the schoolyard there for old Mark? No, not very often. I mean, yeah, I'd stand up for him verbally, but I'd still come away with a thick lip, you know. But um, I, I, you know, him and the, the sexuality of Bowie and, and Bolan never bothered me. I always saw it as it was a stage thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe they were sleeping with men, but it didn't bother me. Because uh, I didn't think about it, okay. you know. I mean, it's something I think about now, and it's like, well, whatever. That's what sure. people do if they're yeah. that way inclined. But when the, there's the the other legendary performance would be Bowie doing Starman, when he puts his arm around Ronson, and everybody oh, yeah. saw this as some yeah. kind of. I used to put my arm when we were kids. We used to run to the schoolyard with our arms around each other. There was nothing gay about it. Sure. It was just it was your friend. Yeah. You didn't hold hands. Yeah. You had arms around each other. So I didn't see that as anything weird either. But Bowie knew what effect he was having on the public with those kind of gestures. I'm sure he did. Like a rock and roll showman. I'm sure he did, but it was more the makeup and the hair that yeah. I think freaked, you know, um, parents out. Okay. You know, this alien coming down from space, which is what they probably saw him as. Yeah. But he yeah. had such a beautiful voice. Well, as your dad, or was it your dad who loves Major Tom? I mean, he was admitting he came from space. Absolutely. <laughs> so what about, did your mom and dad even appreciate uh, Bowie and, the, and the, the glam makeup and the bisexual uh, inclinations and all that? I don't think they really took any notice. Or, or of even the look? No, it was, you know, you've got to think back to 71, 72, 73. Everybody dressed up. I mean, slaves were wearing glitter. Yeah, right. Gary Glitter was obviously wearing glitter. Sweet were. Susie right. Quattro right. was. It's, it was the, the, the look at the time. Okay, Joe, but did you go to your local dance in a dress now? Come on. Ah, no, I did not. No. <laughs> no, I did not. Neither did I have um, kind of tight green trousers or anything like that. Not till at least 1980. Okay. All right, which Bowie track do you want here? We're not going to play Major Tom, even if your dad wants to hear this. Um, let's play Gene Genie. Great. Okay, Gene Genie. Okay, Joe. Uh, the, when you gave me your list of uh, influences at the beginning, Matt the Hoople, of course, and Ian Hunter. When you, when you know, a lot of us were attracted to rock and roll stars because of the lifestyle. It seemed to suggest too the women, the drugs, the drink, the free, the riches, the money for the rest of your life. Was was that part of what the buzz you got too? An escape from where you were at, or all that, all that stuff could be yours if you could have hit songs or hit singles or hit albums. To be quite honest, at the age of I don't know twelve to fourteen, drugs and sex. I didn't even know what they were. Oh, okay. you know? <laughs> what I did really get off on was the the glorification of it, the fact that these guys were elevated above the people dancing on top of the pops, and they were you looked up to them. They were like godlike figures to me, and but they didn't come across as arrogant. They came across as sculptures or something. It was like moving art. Okay, and it. It really just turned me on, you know. I, I thought I could do that, you know. I could get off on that. I I used to. I mean, as a kid, I had my plastic Paul McCartney guitar, and okay. I used to stand on a little stool and do "Love Me Do." All right, okay. And and I played Elvis in a school play when I was eleven. <laughs> so I was leaning that way anyway. Obviously, I liked to show off. Um, and when I saw people like Hunter with the hair and the shades, yeah. and Bolan and Bowie, and even bands like Roxy Music and and Sweet and wizard i mean roy right. wood was completely yeah, over the top i just thought it was theatrical and that's purely all it was and these guys obviously had something inside them that made them want to do this um but i didn't see it as a means to get through to like groupies or a million dollars in the bank or whatever right, like that. I, right. I didn't i didn't see it not at 14 not at 14 at 15 then uh, maybe when i was 14 <laughs> and a half no it, th that well, but you of, must have started reading about ian hunter and said yeah this is part of the whole landscape i love it but the, you see the the problem oh. is with half of these bands you found out when they split up afterwards that they split up in debt 
Right, they didn't okay. actually. They got. They had glory, but they had bad management. You know, okay, okay. they had great records, but they were cost more money to make than they they recouped. And this is all the stuff that you learn as you go along. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it really was just the being on a stage and, and, and having people staring at you. It was showing off. That's what, right. That was the attraction, right. I think. Without the orange box and the plastic guitar. Yeah, that, that had to go. <laughs> that had to go. <laughs> well, what do you want to hear by Ian? Or... Um, well, we should go with Stay With Mott the Hoople. Yeah, um, okay. and, and seeing as there's a Bowie connection there, and it is my favourite song of all time, we have to play All The Young Dudes. Is it? The, why is this your favourite song of all time? I remember you said that to me before, but why this still? It's the, the whole thing of the song. It's it, Musically, it just... Even today, if I still hear it on the radio, and I know that other people are hearing it, it makes the hairs on my arms just stand up. Lyrically, it's that whole kind of 70s urban decay. It's an anthem, okay. but it's very, it's positive within its negativeness. It's right. a very bizarre lyric. I don't even know if Bowie knows what it means, but it's really hard not to pay attention to a lyric that starts off Billy rocks all night about his suicide. I would kick it in the head when he was 25. Speed jive, don't want to stay alive when you're 25. Now, I'm just, you know, I wasn't thinking, oh, depression, depression, depression. It didn't right. come across like that to me. Right. It, just, it was a narrative, and I just started trying to, I wanted to know who Billy was. Sure. That's yeah. you know, that's what it led yeah. me into wanting to believe, you know, and right. find out, and take a journey to see who this guy was. You could see the buzz going through you there, even, even as you recited the lyric. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay, here we go. Let's hear the damn song. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, you you when you then got your chance, minus as I said, the kind of box and the plastic guitar with Leopard, and you said you felt the band kicked a lot of asses of a lot of metal bands or heavy metal bands that were around at the time. You felt you really went for it and asserted yourselves pretty soon. We did it in a different way. You see, we, we, we unfortunately came up at the same time as a lot of the other, other British bands that got lumped into this new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah. Like who? Like Maiden and, and yeah, Saxon yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and a lot of really bad bands. Right. And we spent 20 years trying to convince people that we don't belong there. It's like putting you two in there because they came up within about three months of yeah. us and they yeah. don't, you know... And they rock. They don't rock in the same kind of way as us. And lyrically, they're a lot different. But um, we, we've been trying for just forever to just try and disassociate ourselves okay. with any kind of movement. To me, it was like there was the Mersey sound and there was the Beatles. They've got nothing to do with Jerry and the Pacemakers. All right, okay. You know, or Freddie and the Dreamers. Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> they would just happen to be from Liverpool. We just happened to come up in the summer of 79 into right. the into the the national press in Britain at the same time as these other bands. Yet we were the ones going on stage in white shirts with red hearts on them, not jeans and leather jackets and bullet belts. Yeah. We were doing three, four-part harmonies, which these guys weren't doing. We were doing ballads and we were doing slow stuff. And we were, we were showing our influences to be bands more like collectively, not individually, but like Queen. Yeah. And, 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 you know, even things like Boston's first album, where there was a lot of muscle but a lot of melody. We weren't influenced by Motorhead. Yeah, okay. I mean, we loved them, but yeah. we, could, we didn't yeah. want to be Motorhead. Yeah. We would take the idea of Motorhead into one song, not a lifestyle. Yeah. It's like yeah. Back in Black by ACDC is a great record, but I couldn't make an album like that. I'd do one song that sounds like something from Back right. in Black. Right. Then I'd want to go off and be Kate Bush or Peter Gabriel, <laughs> okay. you know, or, yeah. or, or Roxy music. It's like mixing it up a little bit. And you don't hear that in our music, but the attitude of that determination to be different and stand out yeah. from the crowd is there. 
All right, because you did once say to me, I thought it was a pretty accurate mix, that you wanted the sound to be the Beach Boys meet kind of uh, Queen. Yeah, that's, you like know... the harmonies, those yeah. magnificent harmonies of the Beatles. Yeah, absolutely. We, we wanted melody. We wanted songwriting strengths. When people say to us, who's your big influencers? We always go with the songwriting. So it'll be like Ray Davis, Jagger and Richard, right. Lennon and McCartney. They don't influence us directly like, say, Cheap Trick, who sound exactly like the Beatles to a point. We don't sound like any of those bands, but it's the, it's the fact that they wrote such great songs. And the Beatles could have Revolution or Eleanor Rigby, two completely different animals right. but within, from within the same four people. And the Stones could do Angie or they could do Brown Sugar. And that we wanted to be able to do either or. And with having the dexterity that we had with our vocals, because I was the worst singer in the band, but Sav, Phil... And, and, and uh, specifically when Phil joined, and now that Vivian's in the band, we've got three voices that really are the blending very well. And, right. and I've, I kinda, right. I've got the hang of it myself okay, now. Okay, about time. So there's, there's, there's a four-piece thing going off, and we utilise it as, 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 you know, to our detriment a lot of the times because we've been accused many times of using tapes on stage, but we, right. we don't. We never right. have. Right. Okay. We, we, you know, we rehearse. We actually put a lot of work into it. Right. But that's what we did want. We wanted the, 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 the tightness of the Everly Brothers, the, the, the tightness of Queen and, and, and Beach Boys, but mix it with the muscle yeah. of Zeppelin and, 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 uh, and Montrose All and right. UFO and Thin Lizzy. Lizzy were a massive influence on us yeah. because originally... They, they, they did something different with two guitars. They did the twin lead thing. And we were doing that when we first started out because we didn't have anything better to do. And we used to do Lizzie songs right. because we could. And, but you just take what Phil Linnett did and forget what Robertson and Gorham were doing. There's melody and, and stories. I mean, yeah. he was a poet, you know, there's no doubt about it. Phil Linnett told stories like a true Irishman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it, it it gave us, he stood out from the crowd. He was, they were the rock band of the mid 70s that right. were, had pop hits, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is what yeah, we wanted. Yeah. Give us, uh, can we play one of the anthems that, that your fans would have beloved? I know you say, like, let's, let's get rocked or whatever. Some of those songs you later felt they don't represent who we are or we don't want to be repeating a particular style of song for forever. But can we play one of those ones to let listeners who mightn't be familiar with the work hear the more popular side and what you would be best known for at the very beginning? Sure. You see, Let's Get Rocked, it's, it's, it's not so much it's an albatross or a millstone around okay. your neck, but it's one song that... We don't have to play it at all, just because no, I mentioned that. No, but just to explain it, all right. it's, it's one of those songs that was done out of desperate... Not desperation, we'd been working on Adrenalize yeah. for a long time. Steve died. And after Steve died, we had eight songs written and we needed two more. And we wrote a song called White Lightning, which was about Steve. Yeah. And it was, it was almost like therapy for us. And it was hard and it was emotional. And after we'd finished it and everybody sat down and kind of wiped their brows and puffed out their cheeks, we all kind of looked at each other and said, let's do something really cheesy and stupid just to lighten up the atmosphere. Okay. And we did this song, Let's Get Rocked, which I still firmly believe if you put your thinking head on and put Prince doing it, it's very Prince-like. Okay. It's, it's funky to a point, but we did it in a very white way. Okay. But uh, it's got the legendary line, I suppose, a rock's out of question, which becomes your kind of catchphrase, yeah. you know, which you have to avoid because we didn't want to be the Bruce Forsyth of rock, <laughs> you know. So people refer to that, but, uh, you know... Time, refer to that line, to yeah, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah time goes by and all of a sudden you realise that it doesn't make any difference because right. we play it live in America, we play it live in Ireland, we play it live in England. 
it goes down a storm when we play it live. Okay. So I don't really have a problem with it. But having said that, I think Pour Some Sugar On Me is a much better example of why we are who we are. That's about pure sex. I can't play that on the radio, Joe. You know that. You, you told me once that's about pure sex, unadulterated sex. Well, it was written to strip to. Yeah, we yeah. wanted. We we, we 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 programmed a drum machine All right. to a to a specific tempo that we thought would be good for pole dancing. That is true, but at the same time, it had to have the sleaze of a Rolling Stones right. kind of sexual thing. It wasn't that animal sex like Wasp or Motley Crue. Yeah. It was supposed to be a lot more um, subtle. And, okay. and a lot more adult um, in, in its kind of cheesy, sexy way. Okay, you know? well, I think I'll play that, and I'm afraid listeners will not be able to uh, see what I'm going to see while it's playing because you're going to do the, the strip the around the dance, pole in yeah, the hotel absolutely. here. Okay, Joe, let's hear that one instead. Uh, you're, you're listening to Under the Influences, Joe Jackson. I'm with Joe Elliott. Joe, you mentioned there before before we played that uh, that song that white, the song White Lightning, which is another side of Def Leppard that doesn't get as much maybe airplay or focus, apart from when you and I talk about it that you, you, you did say about that you guys couldn't do a Leonard Cohen type thing in relation to Steve's death, but that was the way you wrote that song. You did have to confront it, and you said it was like therapy. Yeah, it really was. The thing is with us, like I said, you get, you get, um, you get remembered for certain works that you do, and then other things get kind of passed by. And whenever we've made a record, we've always touched on things that are... Uh, more serious than just your straightforward average rock lyric but unfortunately they kind of go all over people's heads you know we um for example we did gods of war on hysteria which was you know about the futility of east versus west in the arms race you know um billy's got, billy's a, got a gun yeah. billy's got a gun the psychopathic kind of you know charles manson figure um die hard the hunter which was very very much it was written because of the falklands but it's so similar to the Vietnam thing, that uh, it, it kind of suits any war. You know, it's just bringing the war back to your own neighborhood and not being able to shut off. All right. you, we heard all about it, for the poor kids coming back from Vietnam, average age 19, they bring the war back because it's still in their head and it never goes away even to this day, they've still got it with them. Right. We've done that, you know, Desert Song off Retroactive, I wrote after Mick Ronson died, because I was with him 10 days before he died working on his, on his solo album. And no matter how many people were in the room Gene him up. He was just so alone, okay. and so, consequently, you know, the 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 metaphor for the desert was the fact that he was just in it. In it you know, even though he was surrounded by people, he was right. he was all on his own. We've done things like that, and, and they don't get played on the radio okay. because we write pop songs too, sure. and of course, pop songs lean towards pop radio. All right, but I want to play White Lightning if you don't mind. I don't mind. Well, talk me, tell me why, because I know you and I have talked about him. It was Steve died a tragic death. But he also, he, he put, you went through hell with him and you had to fight hard to keep the band together. And it was a tough time. So there's a lot of, when you say therapy, there's lots of layers to that therapy for you personally coming out there, of the song. There was loads of it. I mean, lyrically, it's, um, you know, it, it sticks to the path close enough um, without it being a, 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 literally a diary or anything like right. that. But, uh, he, I mean, I, he, he was in rehab over here and he was scared to tell his parents. So he asked me to be his family member. And I did that for a month with him. And it was very, very difficult because half the time people in that situation don't think they have a problem. And it's, it's it, until they realize they have a problem themselves, you know, there's, there's not much help that anybody can give, give you know. Right. Um, and it was the, the, the kind of futility of, of watching him suffering and being there for him 
and at the back of your mind knowing that you might as well really not bother because you could just tell that he, he wasn't going to pull through. But you got really angry at him at one point. You wrote a note and you said, look, cop onto yourself, basically. You felt he had copped on and then he kind of said something about beating the devil in relation to, was, what was that? Yeah, well, we, 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 he was found unconscious in Minneapolis and we all flew out of Minneapolis and he looked really terrible. I mean, he, his skin looked like orange peel. It was death skin, you know. Right. And the doctor said, I want you all to write him a letter. So we, we all wrote in this letter exactly how we felt and then we had to sit and read it out to him. Okay. Rather than give it to him, and each one side by side or yeah, one by one. All of us. There was even right. Mutt went, and right. we read it. We read them out, and there was a lot of tears spilled that day, and a lot of open of your heart and soul to the whole situation. And Steve sat and listened to it, and he cried, and then he cheered himself up, and then uh, we. The doctor took us to one side, and he said, "Look, I just want you to know, you know, his alcohol level was higher than Bonham's." when he died okay. and eventually when Steve did die it was almost double what, what right. Bonham's was right. but when Steve actually came out of this kind of semi-coma he was in what killed Bonham was less than what Steve was registering and we were walking him back to his room and, and Phil I think just said to him says Steve do you realize what your blood level was and then he started to smile and he said yeah you know uh, you know it's, he, he said something along the lines of you know I beat the devil or something and I just remember thinking, if, if he doesn't get slammed up against a wall and, and like he gets at least the shock of not expecting this, yeah. there's no point in being here. All right, okay. I mean, sometimes tough love, as they say, you know, has, has to occur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it did. I mean, did you not slap him against the wall at one point and say, oh, really, it, it, get a handle? It, yes, many yeah. a times. Yeah. But um, yeah. unfortunately, it doesn't always work. And, and sure. you know, we tried the... the the soft approach. We tried the, you know, kind of let it go, don't say anything. We tried the talking and not shouting. We tried the shouting and not talking. We tried everything, okay. and it didn't All work. Right. We'd All gone right. through this previously with Pete Willis, the original guitar player, right. who would be given a hundred chances to straighten himself out, and eventually we just had to let him go. All right. Because he was, if he was actually almost worse than Steve, he just didn't die. Well, so well, let's play the song for Steve anyway. Yeah, let's do that. Joe, we were talking there before we played that song. We were leading up to your new album. That was the two sides of Def Leppard that, you know, I wanted to contrast both. Uh, did anyone ever have to slap you up against the wall and say, get a handle? I know you told me at one point in 89 you were drinking a lot, but you, did anyone ever have to say, you, no. you risk damning the band, you risk going down and dying? I was doing that between albums. Oh, yeah? <laughs> okay. That was my legendary um, pints of uh, scotch and ginger. I was there one night. Yeah, which was, in actual fact, just out of pure laziness. It was so packed at the bar that by the time you got your drink and sat down, it had gone. So I, I just, felt that was your story that night. Yeah. I sat there looking. That was the River Club. And I remember going, now, is this a line for somebody who drinks too much or is he being really clever? No. And don't want to get hassled going up to the bar. I just so I could sit down for an hour and not have to keep standing up. You know, It was right. before waitresses. <laughs> but um, but did, you get, you, did you go overboard? Was there any, any chance of you going following Steve or anything at that point? Who knows? Because right. I could have gone that way, but I don't think my metabolism will allow me to. Um, I'm the kind of guy that's like a happy drunk. All right. I tell a dirtier joke okay. a little louder. But in in '89, I was drinking about half a bottle of brandy a night, maybe right. three bottles a week. And it was my dad who said to me, he "says That's just going to kill you. You should drink." Scotch. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. 
And I actually haven't touched brandy since. And, I, and in fairness, I don't drink a lot. I just, I mean, I'm, I had a couple of drinks last night, but I just went during this promo trip that we've been doing. I went yeah. four and a half weeks without touching anything at all because okay. I just didn't want any. Sure, sure. You know, I mean, I don't drink it out of routine. Right. I, I, I tend to, it's like when I go out, I remember seeing some cheese ball guy in one of the Irish rags slagging me off from always being in Lily's. And I remember thinking, it was like the middle of March or something, and the previous night I'd been out was New Year's Eve. Right. I hadn't even been out for three right. months. So it's right. like, you know, you get this reputation because you're, you're in the public eye, you get seen in, in you know, Reynards or Lilies or the Spy Bar or wherever, and yeah. then people just think you're there all the time. And, you know, it's maybe only a couple. There are but, people out there genuinely do it every night, and, right. and I'm too busy to do it every night. But when night. you say I only do it, like, between albums and all that stuff, did you guys make a decision, uh, you know, after this kind of tragedies that, look, this is not the way for the band to go, for all of us to go. We can't be getting drunk, we can't be doing drugs, be out of it on tour, or the whole thing's going to fall apart. Because you're a competitive man, too. Of course, but a lot of that took care of itself. A lot of that was self-assessment as you go along. For example, by the time Steve died in 91, Phil had been off alcohol for eight years. I mean, he's been off it like nearly 17 or something okay. now. Right. Um, and he's vegan. I mean, he doesn't eat meat. He doesn't eat anything that had a mother, All right. you know, as he says. Um, he hasn't done drugs in... in nearly 20 years um, and I think that's one of the reasons that Steve got really depressed because he lost his drinking partner I mean Steve oh, okay. and Phil were, they made Tyler and Perry look like okay. nuns <laughs> toxic twins my ass I mean these are the terror twins is what we call them and they were crazy I mean there's right. the legendary story of them going into Brown Thomas so drunk that they both bought these 10,000 pound Rolexes <laughs> woke up the next morning and didn't even know that they they were looking at these watches they didn't know they'd bought tried to take them back and of course the guy's on commission so he's having nothing to do with it that's what made Phil stop drinking so, I mean he's been off what, that since, deal with the watch yeah, he's been off he's been off booze since 86 all right 85 okay. 86 actually no 80 yeah 80, 86 I think it was and of course then Steve's left on his own right. and that took him into it he had nobody to bounce off and, and, you know, the more Phil didn't drink, the better his playing got. And right, that okay. really, then you could start seeing a difference. And that really depressed Steve. And he would see the deterioration in him and he'd see the acceleration in Phil. All right. Um, okay. But with me, I, I, I judge it on individual tolerances. I didn't stop drinking when Steve died. I actually had a drink at his funeral. Okay. But because I only had the one, it's not a problem. It's like, it's like you don't stop eating food. If somebody dies because they have a heart attack because they're overweight, yeah, yeah. it's that's that person's problem, not mine. And right. I, I, my my toler tolerance for alcohol is better than Steve's Wolves, but I never drank as much as him in the first place. All right, but I, this image of Def Leppard as singing choir boys now just doesn't go down right with me. It doesn't sit. Well, right. it's not. It's not. It's not true. I mean, we we've we've we're not choir boys. We sing like choir boys when we're here. Well, yeah, right. Right. I was but, leading you in that direction. I know you'd pick up on that. You know, I mean. Some of us smoke, some of us drink. Yeah. And, you know, in, in, in the past, when we were young, we, we've tried everything but smack. I mean, I've never, I actually did accidentally drink smack. Somebody poured it into my drink because their wife walked into the room and they just had to get rid of it. And, oh, right, okay. and I drank this stuff. And What did it do to you? Well, it made me sick for about right. four and a half hours. I mean, constantly, okay. like, just puking yeah, yeah. my guts up. It was right. awful. And I knew it wasn't to do with anything because I hadn't eaten and I'd had like one drink and it wasn't booze right, and it wasn't, right. you know, I mean, I, it, I just knew what it was. And anyway, I found out later on that it, I, I had it confirmed about three years later when the guy actually apologised. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. 
I'm not going to say it. All right, no, fair enough. Um, you know, so and knowing how that stuff is when you do it accidentally, there's no way that I would be sticking a needle in my arm to enjoy the pleasures of smack. It's not my thing, okay. you know. And I don't like I don't like downers. I, I never was uh, into weed or anything like that. Anything that brings you down? No, I wasn't interested, you know. So when when I was experimenting in my youth, it would be things that would keep you up, you know. Um, it'd be coke. I never done speed either, you know. Right. But we, we, you know, we did everything. We there was the women, yes. There was the drugs. There was the booze. We 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 lived it for a, a few months, and then all of a sudden you kind of start to just settle down and you start thinking. It's boring, you know. Right. I'm just fed up of waking up. I'm, you know, what's the phrase? I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. Yeah. And yeah. you know, but you're young enough to get through it. You've got a metabolism in your mid twenties that will carry you through just about anything. All right. But w compared to Motley Crue, we were choir boys. <laughs> Those boys were completely out of their heads. All right. Okay. We indulged. You know, we indulged because it's like it was there. So what we did, we tried it. We were like kids in a candy store. Hmm, let's see what this one's like. Don't like that, didn't do it again. Right. You know, it wasn't right. like a lifestyle thing. I'm not like Keith, who lives it. Yeah. I can't do that. I like to switch on and off. And it's the same with being the guy that I am in the band. I don't walk around town in leather trousers. All right. I might, might go out at night in a pair, but I'm not going to go to Super Queen in them. All right. <laughs> it's okay. for the stage. And it's the same thing with ego. You know, we have this joke, you know, hang your, e your ego on a hook. Right. When you get off stage, right. you know, because you go up there, you play the the rock star thing, but when you come off, just you know, don't don't play the idiot because people can see right through it. Okay, I want to play one of the romantic songs from the new album. I mean, which one would you think would be? I mean, are you are you? Some of the lyrics would suggest you are a romantic, and you don't talk about your private life at that level. I know, but are you a happy man in love? Within love at the moment, have you been for a time? And is this any of this coming across on the new album? Extremely deep question, dear. There you go, Joe. Um, <laughs> of course, yes. I'm. Um, I'm. I'm very much in love with a lot of things with my girlfriend Bobby, with my parents, and my relationship with the band. All right. I don't like my football team at the okay. moment. <laughs> Which are who? Sheffield United. Oh yeah, absolutely. Useless. Okay, go ahead. All you right. know, I'm in love with the idea of 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 just being happy and, and healthy right. and and just. Getting no, up in the morning and, and enjoying life. Because but you did once say, and there was a lyric where you said, I'm tired of being hateful. And I know that I think, I think that song was inspired by record company tensions. Or, or, yeah, it yeah. Was, a lot of it was just down to, uh, I think we had a lot of pent-up anger. We'd been making happy records for a long time. Right. And we were never, it, I guess it's like an actor. Robert De Niro plays The Godfather for so long, he wants to be a comedian yeah. because it's something different. So we went on a, a, an opposite tangent. And it, yes, it was it was nothing personal about anybody in okay. particular, but um, I think the best song off the new album to play would probably be uh, what's going to be the next single, which is "Long Long Way to Go." All right, a romantic song. Indeed, very much so. I think it is. Yeah, very good. <laughs> that wasn't a deep question, Joe. <laughs> uh, okay, um, Joe Elliott, we've uh, we've talked quite a lot. Um, when you when you that question there, you kind of almost fobbed me off. We said I'm in love with my girlfriend Bobby. You do not like the invasion into your private life and the way your private life has been turned into. Particularly in Ireland, I think you once told me it seems to be almost a characteristic of the Irish media. Yeah, I don't mind people taking pictures of us when we go out. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is the way that when you've I was married here, and when I got divorced, it seemed to me that a lot of the um, gossip columnists took sides without knowing the facts. And f f since, the, since, since we 
since I got divorced, I've been nothing but just torn to shreds in the gossip columns, you know, by all sorts of different people. For, for no reason at all. For I'm not even been here, they're doing right, it, you know. Right. It's always like, if, if I'm not um, got big hair, I'm the has-been singer in, a, in, a, in an 80s band or something like that. And it's like, well, it's really, A, it's not accurate, and B, it's, 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 you know, it's not true. Does it piss you off, though, yeah? It really pisses me yeah. off because it's just lies, you know, and, right. the, and the fact that I read so many things that are just untruths that um, it doesn't make, you know, it doesn't make any sense as to why they would do it other than they they take sides you know but do you think the papers in general have taken the sides of Carla as the woman we're talking about do you think in all these gossip columnists and all that they sided with her and they're against you you're, the, w- you're the baddie in the in the, in the yeah, fairy tale it, it reads it reads that way right. supposedly um, right. <clears throat> but uh, you know I mean it's 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 not that it irks me in okay. any I don't think about it all day occasionally I get a phone call on a Sunday morning and somebody will say, have you seen the back of the paper? And I know exactly what they're talking about. And it's like, I'll, I'll read it and it'll say, you know, I was seen in such and such a place doing such and such a thing. And I was actually in America at the time, you know, it's right. almost like liable, some of the right. stuff they said. Or, or it's just the comments that are about me within the story of somebody else. And I, I just don't see the point in... in in doing it when it's just nasty for being nasty's sake, you know. All right, I mean, but just sorry, sorry. there's one specific guy who, who travelled with us uh, on the Adrenalized tour and was all over us like a cheap suit and giving us great reviews. And when I got divorced, boom, it just like I was the worst thing in the world and and just just you know because I think he was in love with her. I mean, simple as that, you know. Um, and you know that's just life. It's no big deal. I mean, Rod Stewart's had to deal with this like has, yeah. seven times over. Absolutely, of late, especially. I don't lose sleep over it. I All certainly right. don't lose sleep over it. And I don't have a problem with talking about my, my private life, but it's just that it's not very interesting. All right. I mean, you know, what do I do? I mean, I get up in the morning, I make a cup of coffee, and have some toast. And then I, if I'm working, I go to work, you know, and I, I'm, I'm making a record and I've got a studio in the house. So I go downstairs to work and I come up and then we'll sit around watching a movie till we go to bed. And then we talk what we've done today, what she did, what I did, whatever. And that's it. It's not like this, this, it's, it's, it's not that interesting that yeah. it, that it yeah. needs to be, you know, that I don't go out. It's not the Liz Hurley thing. It's yeah. not like that yeah. with, with, yeah. with me. And it's not like rock royalty where everybody wants to know everything I should know or it's all yeah, happening. I mean, we're, we're very much a working class band with working class ethics. And when when things like that happen, it's like it's not part of what we were in it for. We got in for it, as I said earlier on in the show. Things like what? Gossip columnists or yeah, papers get interested in your private life. That's nothing to do with why I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to be in a band so I could get up on the stage and perform. And then when I get off the stage, it's over and done with. I didn't want people going through my trash can yeah. and writing a book about it like they did with Dylan. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's just offensive. It's yeah. truly offensive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nobody's going through your trash can. No, yet, no, no, Don't no, be giving no, out ideas, Joe. razor blades <laughs> in yeah. and stuff. You know. But you've also stayed living here and you seem quite happy here. I'm very happy here. You know, like I say, I mean, no matter where you go, it could be worse if I was somewhere else. It's yeah. just that Dublin is a small capital yeah. city, so of course, yeah. anybody farts, sneezes, it makes a back page of somebody's <laughs> thing or whatever, which wouldn't happen in London. It wouldn't happen in New York. You know, you'd right. have to be Grace Jones or David Bowie. It, you know, it wouldn't make any difference. But I, you know, somebody like Elvis Costello or, or Van Morrison goes to a supermarket, and it would be a two-page article, and it's I, I I don't you know, but they'll only give one column inch to his album review. All right, that's my right. whole point about it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's all it's all said upwards. 
All right. Are okay. we allowed to say that on the radio? Absolutely, you're allowed to say that. Okay. Uh, so also, well, let's uh, well, well, then let's play something that best captures where you are from the new album that will send listeners off kind of happy and uh, you know. Um, with, with that kind of feel, because you did also tell me that all the dreams, and you said this to me six, maybe six years ago, all the dreams you had when you were 12, all the stuff when you watched that show, and all you wanted, it's all come to pass, and more. Yeah, it has. You know, somebody said to me, what's left to achieve? And I said, well, re-achieve. Okay. You know, if, if, if your dreams when you were a kid was to play the Sheffield City Hall, and you did it on your first tour, and sold it out, right. you have to start thinking up bigger dreams. And then once you've got past Madison Square Gardens and Wembley, you, it's like, well, all you can do is go back there again and revisit, you know. Right. But um, I, think, uh, I think the best thing to play off the new album is the first track now, because it's, um, it, I mean, coincidence, fate, I don't know, but it's very now sounding, as well as being called now. It's, it's, it's us doing what we do in the year 2002. Uh, it's a, it's not a total radical rewrite. It's not an update, and it's not living in the past. It's current. It's very now, and it's very good. And I love it to death. Well, then I think we should say goodbye with that. Enjoy it. I very much enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Joe, I'm going to have to say that again because I was holding the mic to you. Uh, so, okay, Joey, I'm going to pl- play us out with that track from the new Def Leppard album. And I thank you very much for turning up on the show today. My pleasure. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. More can be heard, as I said, at joejacksoninterviewer.com.